Okay, so other than my very closest friends, I don't think I've ever told anybody the story about the narcissist that broke up my marriage and that the same guy did it twice. And I think I kept quiet about it for so long because there's a lot of shame kind of built into it. You know, I certainly played my part. I did things that were not good things, but I was also kind of targeted and attacked in a way that I did not have any defenses built up for it. Like I had no way to counter what was coming my way. And I had issues that I didn't even know that I had that made me particularly easy to exploit. Now I am not a doctor trying to give you mental health advice, no no, but I know that hearing other people's stories is what really helped me put my own self back together. So even though I'm reading something from a script that's all typed out, um, that's because I'm trying to make sure I get the details right and I don't get overly upset or weepy about things that have happened. Um, I'm just trying to be really authentic here and maybe my mistakes will help somebody else process what they've been through. So let me back this up to the start. We're back in 2004. I am 19. I had gotten pregnant with my high school boyfriend and we ended up getting married over it, but he really wasn't into the idea of being married as much as I was. And quite frankly, he had a lot of violent outbursts regularly enough that I shouldn't have let the wedding happen in the first place. Like I should have spoken up, I should have done something, and I didn't. Like. I wanted to be married and I wanted to feel that kind of security of being married and pregnant, but the whole thing with him was just wrong from the start. I think I felt really ashamed of being labeled a baby mama and I would have probably done anything to prevent feeling ostracized over it. But I have the baby, I drop out of college, which wasn't a huge deal at the time because I didn't know what I wanted to do with myself anyways. Um, then 2006 rolls around and I start feeling really anxious that I'm so, like, behind everybody else that I graduated with. So, like, I have no career path, I am not earning a degree, and I find the whole concept of being relegated to just a mommy just so triggering and belittling. Yeah, I love my kid, but it is not what my whole life is about. I am so much more than just a mother and I want so much more out of my life than just fixating on my children. And there's some people that's all they ever want to do. And you know, if that's for you, power to you. But that's not me. Like I'm, I'm really smart and I'm driven and I've got more of a personality that is suited for being in a boardroom than, you know, being at a mommy and me club. So getting pigeonholed like I have no other possible purpose in the world except to breed is something that I, I just find it really offensive. So I'm about to start college again at an entirely new school. It's coming up to be a few weeks before everything is about to start. And then I can't even remember from where, probably MySpace, someone from my high school class popped up and we ended up on a messenger program just talking a lot. His name is so basic, I probably don't even need to mask it, but I will just in case if I ever need that plausible deniability. But his name's Joe. He starts off just by catching up and being, you know, just trace amounts of flirty with me, which seems kind of weird because I know in my profile it showed me as married, but some people are just naturally flirtatious, you know, and I'm one of those people sometimes. If I'm comfortable with you, 
I can sort of cross that boundary where people think I'm flirting and that's just sort of how I converse. So like if you're my friend and we're on a very comfortable level with each other, I can be very touchy, I can be very eye contacty, I can be very, you know, giggly and, and you know, jokey and, and things that people often interpret as being flirty, even if I don't think I'm trying to flirt. But pretty quickly, Joe keeps telling me how amazing I am and how he used to be in love with me back in school, which side note, I do remember a day in our senior year where he had, I think, just recently broken up with his girlfriend and he turns around in class and goes, I just want you to know I have always been so in love with you and turns back around. And I was so horrified and shocked and had no idea how to deal with that. I was just like, oh, good to know. And that that was it. That's where it was left at that point. But you know, now it's a few years later, and he's messaging me and he's saying how he'd love to get coffee and just pick my brain because I'm so interesting. And like I said, I am married. But I'm also still basically a child. I'm like 20, I think at this point. I know legally you're an adult when you're 18, but your brain isn't fully developed until you're in your mid 20s. So you can't even see around corners yet, but you can legally, you know, sign up for the military and get married and stuff. But I mean, really looking back at it, I was a child married to another child who gave no cares about meeting any mental or emotional needs that I had. And I felt cooped up as all get out because I'm basically locked up with a toddler all the time and completely isolated from any of my peers, which that was an issue that went hand in hand with marrying the guy that didn't feel right is that he got very insecure about my friends and slowly sort of chopped them down away from me. And of course, I started dating this guy when I was 17. So I didn't have anything to compare it to really to say, huh, that's a red flag versus huh, this is just what relationships are like. So in my mind, I have this guy who's in Messenger professing his love for me. And I'm getting this huge rush from it. Like it, it's almost embarrassing. So I'm like, okay, you know, let this guy flirt with you. What's the harm here? You guys live an hour apart. It's not like he's next door. It makes you feel good about yourself. And he's far enough away that it's not like you're going to get really emotionally invested here. <laughs> well, within a few days, the compliments increased to such an unhealthy level and I, I couldn't even see it. It went from Joe saying that he had this kind of puppy love crush on me to I was perfect. And then probably within a few days of that, it was, I love you. And I don't mean like, oh, you're so adorable. I just love you kind of a thing where it's it's not really romantic. I mean, he was point blank. I love you. I want to marry you. I want to have children with you. And seriously, I'm not a stupid person normally. I have had guys before that kind of rush up on me and are way too quick to go, oh, I love you or, oh, I'm intimidated by you. And I, I see that and it totally repulses me to where I can't even talk to the guy anymore. Like it, it just kills the whole thing. You went too far too fast. But I had known Joe for so long and there was almost something about him planting the seed in high school that he loved me to where it made all of his compliments just wave over me and convince me that this was some giant fairy tale romance that was 100% authentic. It was like I was wanted and valued as an individual person, not as a mom, not as a wife that someone didn't really want to have that, you know, 
this guy saw me and everything I threw at him, like, you know, I have a kid or, you know, I'm married and I'm not going to leave that kind of stability just to casually date somebody. He had no problem with it. He was completely ready to go full speed forward. Every fear I had, he quelched it and acted like no issue mattered to him more than I did. He even told me at one point that he was meeting up with his lawyer to help me file for divorce so that I could be with him quicker. And remember, at this point, I have no job and I'm only just getting back into school. So I would have been completely dependent on Joe for us to be able to build this life together. And even when I would insist that this was all too much for him or this was too good to be true, he would insist right back that I was all he ever wanted, so it didn't matter. Like, the, the details will work out, but let's just make it so we can be together. And this had all been online at this point. So we had decided to meet up during my second day back at college uh, because, you know, my kid would be in daycare all day and no one would be around to question where I went. And I can say with complete certainty that the feelings I had online did not translate the same in person. First, I showed up too early and because I thought we were madly in love and about to move in together, I had actually stopped at a gas station, bought a physical map to fold out because GPS wasn't even a real thing at that point. And I had looked up where Joe lived. So I parked outside his house, called him up like I was going to be doing the sweetest surprise ever. And Joe flips out and tells me I can't come inside, that I was too early and why would I do this? And I was furious. I drove away, parked at a gas station, and just was crying my eyes out when my phone started ringing and he asked me to come back. And he was swearing, you know, it's not what you think. I'm not with another girl. Stop accusing him of being with another girl. Which the fact that that didn't chase me away is like, what was wrong with me? Like, if I am seeing a romantic interest for the very first time and I'm already feeling like I'm being blocked off because there might be a girl hidden behind the door, I mean... What kind of crazy person says, okay, you know, let's let him smooth that over. Apparently me, I'm that person. Hi, how are ya? But I, I had to have wanted him to make me feel better and smooth it over because he talked me into coming back. Um, he still wouldn't let me inside of his house, but we went off and milled around for the day. I think we were around town and we went to the mall and, you know, we were just kind of out and about. I remember we had dinner at like maybe Applebee's, something like that. And all I can really remember about eating out with him was just feeling so awkward and so sick to my stomach about everything that I could barely eat. But here I am with my fairy tale prince right in front of me and I remember thinking this doesn't feel right. The chemistry was just off to where it was almost uncomfortable. We didn't know how to speak to each other without a computer as a buffer. And it was kind of like seeing this ad for a swanky hotel, but then you get there and it's all grimy and dingy. Like Nacho as a person, I, I don't mean to say that he was physically disgusting, but it was a whole vibe between us where the expectation did not match the reality. So it was more awkward first date with someone you won't go out with again and a lot less of this is the one type of a feeling when I met him, you know what I mean? All the same though, 
at some point we were driving around and he pulls out his mother's old engagement ring and tries to propose to me. Which, for whatever reason, even though this was a future that I had desperately wanted earlier that day, my brain freaked out. Like, I wouldn't open my eyes to look at the ring, I wouldn't take the ring, I just sat in the passenger seat and pretended to not even notice what he was trying to do. I don't think I could have handled that any worse, but the whole thing just felt too uncomfortable to try and deal with in the moment. So by the end of our day together, which was probably like five or six hours straight, I just felt like, what the hell am I doing here? I was starting to think that maybe I did not want this relationship at all, but then we got back to messaging online again and it all kind of smoothed over. But for me, I was like, okay, well, let's keep this an open-ish avenue and see if our in-person feelings develop to a better place. But I mean, overall, I just, I really did not feel great after seeing Joe in person. Like there was no, yes, this is what I want to do. This is magical. Here's sparks flying. It just wasn't there. Then here's where it got interesting. I had completely forgotten that my spouse and I shared a laptop that my messenger service was logged into. So Joe starts sending me messages that don't ding to my desktop, but pop up directly in front of my spouse. And again, you know, we didn't particularly get along together. We weren't a good couple together, but there was a very controlling aspect with the financials and what I was able to do. And he had a very bad, violent tendency, and I'm going to try and leave it at that. And apparently my spouse at that time was very alarmed to see a man's name pop up in my messenger. But uh, let me be honest, he wasn't exactly the most brilliant of individuals, so he didn't go about it in any smart way. He's asking Joe things like, how do we know each other? When was the last time we spoke? So, you know, it's really obvious that it's not me responding and Joe immediately picks up on what's going on and plays the whole thing off in a way that keeps me out of any violent retaliation. But uh, <laughs> I didn't know any of that when my spouse came into my room to question me. Basically, I got confronted and I didn't confirm or deny anything, but there was a big enough freak out that my spouse went storming off on foot and pretty much fearing what was going to happen when he came back, I decided to slap the panic button and went running to Joe. And I'm not saying that that was a good thing to do. I'm not saying any of this was the good or right thing to do, but I was scared at that point. And really, in that moment, in my panic-stricken mind, I was kind of rationalizing it and going, well, after all, you know, Joe and I are going to have this whole rest of our lives relationship. And even though earlier that day had gone less than swell, uh, Joe still said that he wanted us together. So it was all just going to happen a few months faster than we were anticipating. And I remember just being so certain about Joe's love for me that I didn't even ask him if I could come. I, I might have called him on the way down to his house, but I was very point blank that, hey, I'm coming right now. Like, you know, nuclear option. I have to come. And he did let me in his house this time. Um, but it was it was really strange because I felt very corralled between the living room, the bedroom and the bathroom. Like it, it was not a very make yourself at home environment. He didn't want me to meet his dogs. He didn't want to, you know, give me a house tour. It, it was weird. And I had 
basically run away from my house in such a hurry that I had my purse and that was it. No clothes, nothing. And I remember laying in bed next to Joe that night feeling so incredibly strange, probably just reeling from how unexpected everything went. And Joe started almost pressuring me to sleep with him, which we had not done before. Again, another big red flag of what the heck was I doing here? But I was just so overwhelmed and frazzled by everything that I was not into, you know, banging the guy. <laughs> it was not what I wanted to do in that moment. And the more I resisted, the more Joe kind of tried to pull me in. And at one point he said, come on, baby, pay rent. And I remember that something about that just triggered me so hard that I just sat right up and stood out of the bed and I, I could barely breathe at that point. I, I was getting so overloaded. Then the next thing I knew, Joe was telling me that this wasn't going to work between us and that now he sees my spouse as a real person because he talked to him on Messenger for like three or four responses. So I needed to go home to him, which, you know, when you are worried about a violent backlash, that's not really an option. So it's like 1am at this point and Joe is kicking me out of his house when that morning I was the love of his life. I, I just, I couldn't wrap my head around it. It was so surreal. And I was so scared and broken and raw at that point that I remember just begging him to let me sleep on his couch because I did not want to come home to have a fist in my face. And I even said, you know what, just let me sleep on your couch tonight. Just even as a friend, I'll get up and leave for my college classes in the morning and I, I won't bother you anymore after that. But the answer was a hard, no, you need to get out. And the whole thing was just so weird. Even today, looking back on it, like I don't understand it. Because Joe went so quickly from, oh, baby, I want to sleep with you to this very soft but firm, no, you need to get out of my house. I just, nothing I could think of would let me wrap my brain around it. And I blame myself so hard. Like, oh, if only I had slept with him. If only I didn't get out of that bed. You know, if only I hadn't made that one wrong move, everything would have been happily ever after. And I ended up living in my car for a while after that because I was so afraid and disgusted with my marriage after that. And, you know, you can't be in love with somebody else and then go back and try to fix things with a person you know is wrong for you. But really, the only thing that saved me and let me land on my feet was my dearest friend in the world, Danielle, who met me in the aftermath of all of this and, you know, kind of helped me put my mind back together. And she gave me a place to live so that I could get my life back together. I mean, living with her was probably the best living situation I have ever had. Uh, nobody was watching me or controlling where I could go or who I could talk to. And I was so happy in so many ways. But I think because she started falling for a guy that she was definitely going to end up marrying, I kind of felt my safe place vanishing, so I made different life choices. I mean, if it could have been her and me doing the Tuca and Birdie thing for the rest of eternity, I would have been so down for that. But I think knowing that she was about to move on, that 
I had to put a better situation in front of myself. But we'll circle back to that part later. Uh, the strangest thing about being dumped by Joe, though, was that I was in such a tailspin that I was literally sick over it. This had been a relationship that started really superficial just to boost my own broken down self-esteem. Like, yeah, let that guy tell me I'm great and keep his distance, you know? <laughs> Wonderful. That's what the internet's good for, right? But then I was completely sucked into this fantasy life that he wanted, and I thought I wanted it too. I mean, even after I saw him in person and left feeling so uncomfortable, almost like the relationship was something that I knew I needed to put an end to eventually, I was still completely devastated when Joe cut me off. I couldn't sleep anymore. I couldn't eat anymore. I was so torn apart because Joe said he loved me, but then left me so callously. And it took a long time for me to put my mind back together. I was the most hurt that I have ever been in my whole life. And I was so desperate for Joe to reach out to me again and just make me feel like this hadn't been some twisted up game. Like, let's reset, let me get on top of this and feel like I have some control or relief from this horrible feeling of being dumped so abruptly. And I even had exes of Joe's reach out and try to put my head on straight, telling me that this is what Joe does and I'm not even the first person that he proposed to with that exact same ring. But the more they told me I wasn't special, the more I kind of fell apart because Joe's targeted gaze made me feel like I was the only person in the world that mattered to him. And I was just so convinced that I had been the one to mess something up and that I ruined everything. And mind you, this wasn't even a relationship that I was confident that I wanted as soon as I saw him in person. I mean, my gut reaction, which I chose not to trust, was, uh, maybe not. But still, being thrown away by someone who insisted that we were soulmates shattered me in such a way that I went absolutely insane. I don't know any other way to describe it. I had my friends trying to reach out to him to convince him to contact me again and talk to me and give me another chance. I was making public MySpace posts, basically begging for his attention, even to the point that I was trying to make him jealous one minute and swearing that I would be fine being one of many girls he dated the next. I'm not looking to be a polygamist. Like, what am I doing? But that's just how badly I wanted him to come back and talk to me again. I have never in my life felt so absolutely crazy before. And it actually took several weeks, maybe even a couple months, but eventually Joe calls me, leaves me a voicemail as if nothing had happened. And at that point, I was really so far removed and healed from the situation that I remember just playing the voicemail for Danielle and ranting about his audacity, but I never called him back and I don't think he ever tried to call me a second time. He did pop up in my messenger a few more times, but Joe was very cold and distant and it seemed like he was trying to pick at me, whereas before he had always been trying to build me up. So it, it felt so different and it was so confusing, but I didn't go back down the lovey-dovey path with him, so it didn't take very long before he just completely dropped out of my life. 
And that was the first marriage that Joe ended for me, which, again, it was not a good, strong marriage to begin with, and it would have toppled over before long anyways. So losing that marriage is not really a loss for me. I mean, I know that sounds like really bad and harsh, but it, it was a bad fit all around. Everything about it was bad. And that's why somebody was able to lure me away, you know? But I'm going to do a part two to this and uh, get to more details about Joe returning when I'm in my second marriage. And uh, buckle up, buckaroos. Okay, so here is part two of how the same narcissist messed up both of my marriages, which is probably giving him too much credit because both marriages were really built on a house of cards. And again, I'm not trying to make excuses for the part that I played in any of this. Um, the bottom line is that I felt stuck and unhappy with both spouses. And there has been so much learned helplessness like shoved and grinded in my face over the years that I do not have the financial or psychological means to really break free by myself, if that makes sense. I mean, literally, my second husband has had me convinced for about 15 years now that I can't even cook an egg for myself because I am so worthless and helpless and mess everything up so badly that I will supposedly pass out over the stove if I try to use it. So the level of, like I said, learned helplessness where you have been told your whole life over and over again that you can't do this right, you can't do that right, so you just kind of stop trying you believe it. And you know, even starting back with my mother, my entire life, I have had all these learned helplessness issues just pushed on me that I can't do this. I can't survive without that. I can never take care of myself. I can, and it's, I'm just starting to really unravel and understand how that was manipulative and controlling and damaged me and it's not even true. So it's not that I had these two idealistic marriages and some third party came in and broke this solid foundation because you can't come in and break a solid foundation. But all of the issues that I really didn't even know I had until just very recently, like within the last year or two, made me very, very susceptible to be fed off of by a narcissist. And again, full disclosure, I do have this all written out. I am reading it off of my computer screen because I don't want to ramble and go in circles. I want to stay focused. So after all the dust settled from my first divorce, I ended up being in such an insecure state that I fell into another relationship really quickly big surprise. I just felt like I needed to have wounds patched up to feel like a valued human being again. And I had run across an ex of mine that was just suddenly like, oh, let me shower you with attention. Like, look, I just broke up with my girlfriend to come and pay attention to you. And he told me all these beautiful things like you were the one that got away and I've always thought about you. And when you keep walking into narcissists and you don't realize like that's who they are, because I always thought a narcissist was somebody who looks at themselves in the mirror and just just so in love with themselves. But no, like narcissists are like energy vampires for empathic people. And a lot of times they don't even like themselves. So that's why they have to whip you up to sort of be in line behind them. But when you have a narcissistic parent and then you end up dating one narcissist after another, I mean, you really aren't questioning that this isn't normal. That That's just how love looks to you. And so when you're in that first phase of a 
narcissist and they lay their sights on you and you're hearing all of these wonderful things and it's just all about how special you are and how much you've been missed since you were away, you really start to believe that maybe you are a little piece of magic. Because that's kind of the point of a narcissist is that they, they feed into your ego so that you will turn around and feed into theirs. And then like once you get that sort of attachment link bond, then they just start sucking everything out of you. But this old flame and I, we reconnected and that was at the end of October. We were married on Valentine's Day that next February and we had a baby in November of that year, almost exactly nine months to the day later. Looking back, it was way too fast. Like I should have never been on board with any of that. But again, when you're going from one narcissist to another, that looks normal to you. And I had no idea what a narcissist actually was. You know, I had no clue what I was dealing with. It just seems like this is what normal is because that was the small sample size that I had to judge a guy's behavior by. And, you know, at this point, I'm 22 years old. I'm getting married for the second time. And my brain still hasn't even developed the capacity to look around corners. So here I am not really able to look at things as a long, big picture kind of scale yet. And I'm just desperately trying to do the next right thing for my own survival at that point. And my second husband's gaze for me, which had been really not as intense as Joe's, but still very much, I want to be with you all the time. I want to fill you with compliments. Oh, oh man, I missed you so much. I can't stand when you're away. And that all cooled pretty much the minute I got knocked up. Like I was wearing his ring, I was pregnant with his baby, I had, you know, an ex-husband who was fairly dangerous and no job or means to support myself. So pretty much my second husband knew that his effort for me could stop at that moment. And there have been many unkind times with my second husband and issues with his infidelity and him constantly rebelling against me like a teenager to his mother or trying to shut me down whenever I gained any kind of financial independence. And I am not a perfect little princess who just sits back silently and lets it happen. I mean, I grinded my heels and I argue and I'm going to make you listen and understand and care and empathize and do all these things that... Over the years, I have come to accept that he's just not emotionally capable of doing. But I've only come up with this understanding over the past maybe four or five years because we're coming up on 15 years of being married. And I, I mean, I feel like I have never had a committed partner and I have spent years wondering what I keep doing wrong to make people fall out of love with me because I, I did not understand my partner's mental health or my own painful issues that were just leading me to these kind of people. All I knew is that love was supposed to be simple and it really sucked the life out of me until I shut down. Then came 2021 and my Facebook notifies me of a friend request from none other than good old Joe. And if you didn't see my part one, Joe popped up during my first marriage and convinced me to run away with him only to change his mind, you know, basically the minute I came running. So I was really apprehensive about seeing his friend's request, but also kind of curious because I, I just I wasn't really mad at him anymore. You know, it was something that happened and it sucked 
but being mad at him only impacted me. Like, you know, my hate for him did not hurt him. So I, I let it go for the most part. So I accept the friend's request and he starts sending me messages through Facebook shortly after that. And this time I was well-versed in narcissists and their tactics. So talking to him, it, it was almost like a game for me because I could see what he was doing now and understand a lot better that it had nothing to do with me. And I got the feeling that he was lonely and kind of up to something when he was messaging me. So any kind of hint of a romantic comment was just met with plain old rejection by me. I mean, I used vomit emojis when he said something that was kind of like, oh, hey, you know, you're so sexy or I'm so sexy or whatever. Um, I laughed and made fun of him. I was even quoting the Repeat Stuff song from, I think, Bo Burnham, and he would try to compliment me, and I'd be like, oh, I love your hands because your fingerprints are like no other. I love your eyes and their bluish, brownish, greenish color. I love that when you smile, that you smile wide, and I love that your torso has an arm on either side, because the things he kept saying were just so pathetically generic that I kept calling him on that. Like, you don't even care about me. You just use these same lines on everybody, you know, blah, blah, blah. I see your game, boy. But oh my gosh, like, to his credit, Joe rolled with it. And what he came back with when I would say those things were witty and they were funny. And I truly enjoyed talking to him. But after a few days, Joe was getting really irritated that every time he'd make an advance at me, I was like slapping it away going, ah, 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 not in my house, buddy. And so he eventually tries to go peace out, you know, you're just obviously not interested in talking to me and I don't know why I bothered, I was just so attracted to you and I thought maybe time would have healed some, like all of this really stupid stuff to try and make up an excuse to leave. And instead of letting him go, I decided to call him out some more and to tell him that I would love to be his friend but I wasn't going to bang him because I wasn't the same broken, insecure person that I was before. So if that's what he's looking for, he needs to move on to the next woman in his harem. And Joe got really offended that I said those things and he even unfriended me, which I, I won't lie, I felt very hurt over that, even though I couldn't exactly explain why. But I said that I thought he was a bra, you know, one of those guys, fraternity kind of guys that just wants to go bang around. And he didn't like that. And he kept insisting that that's not who he is anymore and you know I'm being unkind to him basically um so he gets frustrated he's all like goodbye then and then he comes back a few hours later messaging me again trying to explain a lot of what had gone down between us before and he was completely apologetic in a way that I found very disarming uh, he told me that none of what had happened was my fault, that I was pretty much perfect, and he had meant all the things he said back in 2006, but he just had so many mental health issues over his dad's death that he couldn't bring things together fast enough, basically. Like, he wanted those things, but he wasn't in a place to have those things. So he panicked and decided he was gonna let me go and make me hate him because that's what was best for me. And I sensed some BS in there, you know, I, I felt like there was a little bit over inflation and exaggeration because come on, you're gonna tell me that you don't remember everything that happened 15 years ago, but you remember exactly what happened 15 years ago at the same time. But I grilled him with 
quite a few additional questions, some of which he was very clearly uncomfortable talking about, but he did answer everything I threw at him pretty much to my satisfaction. And Joe just kept apologizing and saying that he wanted to be part of my life. And he even said something to the effect of, I know my promises don't mean much, but I swear I'm not leaving again. I want to spend the rest of my life making things up to you. And at this point, I was not getting a sense that there was any push for a romantic relationship. And everything he said felt plausible enough to me that I wanted to believe it was true, so I did. I mean, I had been mad at him for years, but I feel like I'd gotten over it, you know? Like, what is the point of keeping this grudge and being like, no, I hate you, I can't even talk to you. Obviously, if somebody is going and looking up their exes on Facebook and trying to reach out to them, they're not in a very good place and they're probably pretty dang lonely. So I gave Joe a chance to keep talking to me and keep getting closer as a friend. And the more I did, the more Joe kind of started to try and turn it to a romantic thing. And I felt completely in control at first, you know, like I could shut Joe down at any time because I wasn't emotionally invested in this. It's not like I thought any of his flirtations were real or genuine. It's just how he communicates. And so the more we talk, the more Joe is coming up more and more telling me that he loves me, that I'm perfect, that I'm amazing. Would I please send him selfies to make his day brighter? All the right things that, again, I had not been getting from my now estranged husband for the last 15 years. And slowly, but also very quickly, Joe would add in commentary about wanting to marry me and have me move into his house. Obviously, I had already been down that road, so I wasn't trying to repeat my mistakes. And when he would bring those things up, I would constantly retort back with, well, what's different this time? And you wouldn't be there long enough for the ink to dry on my divorce papers. And, oh, if I got caught talking to you tomorrow, you'd just unsend all your messages and block me. You know, things that are very realistic and true possibilities. I even said many times to Joe that he likes to chase girls, but not to have them, or that he only wanted this fantasy world and not the reality and the hard work with it. And every time he swore up and down that that wasn't the case, that it was different now, that it was all real. And he even acknowledged the difficult work that would go into earning my trust and blending our families together. And I don't normally like to consider myself a codependent person. Like I'm not trying to find a guy to solve all my problems and take care of me. But something about having these things reaffirmed over and over again, where I'm being told that Joe wants to take care of me, may made me feel like I wanted to be this person worthy of being taken care of by this Prince Charming. Point blank, he even told me at one point that he is aware of what a bad, vulnerable position he put me in last time. So all I would have to do is say the word and he'd put my name on his bank account and credit cards so that I would have security. And he was just so persistent that he was committed to being with me seriously and truly that I could feel myself losing myself. And it's almost like I was standing right above my own body, watching it happen the entire time. So my defenses start to slip, even though I notice red flags left and right. For example, he says he's been separated from his wife for four years, but was getting the divorce finalized in two months, which that's a very odd time frame. Not that people don't get separated for long amounts of time and get divorced, but if you are meeting somebody and saying, well, I am not divorced yet, but in two months exactly, I'm going to be divorced. There's something about that that does not quite have the ring of truth to it. 
And the more I kind of bought into everything, the more there were all these smaller things that Joe would do to chip away at what I was wanting for my own future. For example, at one point we had a very candid conversation about how bad my physical and mental health was after I had my last baby. And I explained that it was a really bad idea for me to try and have more kids because we were having, you know, the children conversation. He has three, I have three, I say we're done. He said, you know, I could do with some more. And so I explained, that's not a good path for me. And he was fine with that at first. And he even apologized and said, well, he didn't mean to hint that we have to have a baby together. But then he started gently nudging about the baby issue like several times every day after that. And it was bizarre. And there was one point where we were chatting back and forth and I said, you know, I just don't trust this. I feel like sooner or later you're going to up and leave. And he goes, well, this time I'll get you pregnant. So that way we're stuck together forever. And I took that as, you know, just kind of a flippant, sarcastic joke. But I showed my friend the screenshot and she was just hands down flipping out. And she's telling me this is a huge red flag. He's going to try and trap you so that you can never get away from him. You, you need to cut this off now, like block him now. But I was not in a place where I felt emotionally capable of just cutting him off cold turkey like that. But it did become a lot more noticeable when Joe would start bringing up the baby thing again and again, even to the point where he's telling me, oh man, I fantasize all the time about you being pregnant with my child. And I was like, why? And he says he didn't know, but that he thought it was sexy and sweet and stuff. And I'm like, that doesn't seem like a good reason to have a baby. And I know that that's a control tactic of a narcissist because it is so much harder to leave somebody if they've got their hooks in you with a baby for the next 18 years. That's the situation I was essentially looking to get out of with my estranged husband now. And I was especially alarmed by how similar that conversation of, you know, let's get married and have babies was to conversations we had 15 years ago. You know, when Joe convinced me that I need to leave my first husband for him because Joe loved me so much and we were meant to be and, you know, we were going to have this life with these children and, and all these beautiful things designed and planned out already. Like he was there, he was ready, he wanted it. My first husband did not. And I was ready to, you know, go follow Joe down that rabbit hole. And then when I did, Joe didn't want me anymore. So as soon as I ran towards Joe for that promised life, thinking we were on the same page and just so compatible, it ended up being very fake. But even being aware of that and that Joe specifically had done that to me and that my second husband had trapped me with a baby, it got to the point very quickly that I went from saying no to another baby to, well, obviously we can't do that until we're both divorced, but it's an option on the table. Like, I don't even want another baby. I could sincerely die over it. But I was getting so sucked up into what Joe wanted and this life that he was painting for us that my brain was willing to negotiate that having another baby I did not want would be worth it to keep this connection with Joe going. 
So again, against my better judgment, against what I want for myself, I am getting so drawn in that I just want whatever he wants so that Joe will keep paying attention to me. And I saw every bit of this unfolding like a slow motion train wreck, but I did not care because I was being love bombed so hard. Now, love bombing is a common practice of a narcissist and that's how they kind of sort out their prey. So they'll find somebody and start showering them with affection, attention, sometimes even gifts that do not make sense for the level of relationship that you're at. And they see how you react to it because a normal healthy person looks at this rapid pace and backs away from the fantasy. So the narcissist knows that they need to move on from that person because they are healthy minded and they're not going to return the love that is being showered upon them. You know, the healthy brained person is going to see that there is nothing below the surface of that affection and run away. So it's too hard of a target for the narcissist to work for. And somebody returning that love that the narcissist is showering onto their victim is what the narcissist actually feeds off of. That's their ego boost. And I've met people who profess feelings for me way too quickly, or they said I intimidated them or whatever else, and it completely soured me to that guy to where I couldn't even talk to them again. So normally, I recognize this tactic and back away like a mentally sound person. However, there is something very specific about Joe and our history together that pulls at me in a magnetic way that I do not understand at all. Suddenly I go from being a strong, independent, capable woman to someone who has issues with codependency, which is where I feel like the guy's supposed to be my entire world and I want him to love me and take care of me and he's swearing he wants to do that so badly. And I already have an anxious, preoccupied attachment style, which makes me particularly vulnerable to love bombing. If you aren't familiar with anxious, preoccupied attachment style, it's one of four ways that people bond in relationships. And it stems from being very inconsistently nurtured in childhood. So for example, one day as a baby, you cried and your mom picked you up and held you and did everything that you needed. And then another time you cried and she just totally ignored you and never came at all. So as a baby, your entire survival is completely dependent on your parents. You literally cannot do anything for yourself. Yet you're being trained that your needs are gonna be met almost randomly. So you become self-reliant in a lot of ways, but also very insecure and needy in relationships because you grew up in this constant pit of stress that you're gonna be intermittently abandoned and it might happen when you really need support the most. Which means as an adult, you usually need a lot of reassurance to feel secure with your partner. So when somebody comes along and they get you kind of attached to them and then they stop responding to you or just totally cut you off completely, that psychologically triggers you on such a core level that you will do just about anything to get that validation back. It's basically like being crazy. So you might put on a bikini and walk past your guy and go, I'm going to work, hoping he says, wait, 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 you need to put some clothes on, sweetie. Uh, so that he has that jealous or concerned reaction and your brain gets that reassurance that, okay, he still cares about me. You know, it seems manipulative, but it's a way to get something that you need at a very core level when maybe you don't know how to directly ask for it. And the anxious preoccupied attachment style is also where you get so anxiety riddled over your partner that you can't focus on your work or anything else. 
And you might call or text 400 times in a row because you are so desperate for that validation that he's still there and he still cares about you. And if you are with somebody who withholds those kind of reassurances that you need, you get so overwhelmingly afraid and just buried in stress and anxiety because you're like, did he get sick of me? Is he seeing another girl? Did I mess everything up? And it tears you apart and brings you to such a physically painful place that existing without your partner actually hurts. It makes a relationship like a flat out addiction and it takes a lot of time for somebody to really feel calm and stable and safe in a relationship to where they don't need to be constantly reassured. And I'm not saying that that's a healthy way to be because obviously it is not, but it is what it is and it stems from childhood trauma and makes you very susceptible to being manipulated by people like narcissists. So enter love bombing where somebody acts like they see you completely and they accept you and they love you and they want to support you either mentally, emotionally, financially, or all of the above. And it's like riding the biggest high you can imagine. Every dopamine center in your brain is just going off the charts until you feel insane levels of attachment to the person who is spoon feeding you all of this love. Your entire self-worth gets tied up into it and you can end up going into this can't eat, can't sleep, reach for the stars level of love sickness and it gets to the point where each text, each call is an endorphin rush to your system. In my case, I had my phone on vibrate and just hearing it buzz and assuming that it was Joe on Messenger released a wave of relief through my entire body every single time. I mean, I've been excited to talk to people before, don't get me wrong, but I have never felt anything like that tension relief cycle ever. And I felt that so hard that I was standing there watching myself being conditioned to suit Joe's desires and not even fighting back anymore. If I played into his fantasies correctly, I would get these rushes of attention and compliments that just made my day. But if I brought up too many real world issues, like logistically trying to make a home with six children work, he would back away and do very selective ghosting. If you're not aware of ghosting, that's where somebody up and vanishes, usually when you're in the middle of talking, and it leaves you with this very frustrated feeling because you were mid-conversation and they just left you hanging. Or maybe you said something very vulnerable and then the other party suddenly vanished, so now you're terrified that you've chased them off. Then when the person finally returns, it's on to a new subject. So ghosting is a form of punishment and behavior training where you learn very quickly that if you want the love rush, you play into what he wants. And it can feel really deceitfully like it's a normal give and take in a relationship because, you know, you're getting that high from him and he's getting his high from you because both of you are behaving how the other one wants. However, it's a very imbalanced system and it's very hard to see that in the moments when it's happening. Because if Joe decides that I'm not playing the game right anymore or if I challenge him in the wrong way, then he'll just pack up the game board and go home and you're sitting there horrified that you messed up. Like, you have no power left. But Joe would ghost and then always return with an excuse that seemed very acceptable and it made me feel unreasonable for feeling anxious. 
He'd say things like, oh, sorry, I had to get some training done for my new job, or I've been having a birthday party for my son. And it made me feel like a time monopolizing brat that was trying to hold him hostage because here I am getting upset when we're mid conversation and he stops responding for hours. But here's the thing, I'm not crazy. If Joe had just said to me, hey, it's my son's birthday, so I'm gonna be in touch with you later, then I would have known not to feel anxious and I would have had no reason to be afraid when he wasn't responding. However, Joe chose to leave me in that state of mind, letting me complain that he's running hot and cold, instead of just explaining to me, this is what my day looks like. And let me just clarify, in a normal relationship, yeah, people don't owe you an explanation if they're gonna go shopping for a few hours. But, the trick here is that sometimes Joe would explain that he was about to leave and other times he would just vanish. So it starts playing into that lottery system from being a baby and sometimes you cry and mom shows up and sometimes she lets you scream and hurt until you pass out. It just triggers something very primal in you to where you can't think about anything else other than the person that you're waiting for. So flipping between fully communicating and going silent, then having an excuse for vanishing, it's a really subtle power move to make me seem like I'm being unreasonable when I complain about being ghosted. But after days and days of Joe swearing to me that he wasn't going anywhere, and even after telling him very directly that it terrifies me, he's going to suddenly leave. So I need him to talk to me and not threaten me with bye forever when he gets mad. You know, don't go peace out, I'm gonna block you. I told him that that is very stressful and upsetting to me. And he said that he was sorry he had said that before, that he had just gotten a little triggered and he understood what I was saying completely. And that's basically what he said every time I brought up an issue. It, it was always, oh, I am so sorry and I understand, so I'm, I'm gonna be better, basically. And then we came to what we'll call Monday night. So after being prodded and worn down and convinced that Joe was the one for me, that we had some special spark that no one else could ever have, which I mean, seriously, I felt that myself very intensely and very deeply. So I believed that he was feeling it too. Um, but now I kind of recognize that it was just an addiction response that I was having. Like, I don't do drugs, I don't smoke, I don't drink, but love is something that is very, very addictive for me because it's something I've never really had. But once I got like a million reassurances and truly believed that Joe and I were working to put our lives together over the next few years, like there, there were times where he was very much, I want to do this right now. And other times where he seemed very realistically like, yeah, we need to wait. We need to get our ducks in a row. And, and it felt authentic. Like the rush was kind of a dream and a hope, but we were actually doing the long-term plan. That's how I felt. And after Joe telling me a bajillion times that he was never going to leave me, that he wasn't going to let me push him away, that, you know, we're full throttle doing this, I gave in and decided to finally lean into the relationship all the way. Like, if this was all a fantasy, then I wanted to live in this pretend world with him. And if it was all real, I was willing to get divorced and come be his wife as soon as all the details were worked out with the timing. I mean, 
mean, I was seriously emotionally there. I felt completely in love after less than two weeks of talking to him. And again, nobody else has ever had this kind of effect on me, so my defenses to combat Joe are really limited. But even letting myself get to that state of mind, it felt so odd. I knew that when I told Joe that I loved him too, I was doing it because I felt like that's what I had to do to keep his gaze on me. I felt like he was getting bored with trying to convince me and he was slipping away to message me less and less. So I love you was what I had to say to keep that spark feeling going. It was not real for me when I said it. It was an addiction withdrawal kind of response, and I knew that. Yet, just a few days later, I was drinking that Kool-Aid and believing myself that I was deeply in love with Joe. And it's all because that's how strong the love bombing was for me. It filled every void that I had in my life. And just to illustrate how sad my personal life was, I actually told my still married husband that I was talking to Joe and my husband knew exactly who that was. He knew our history together. He did not have a good opinion of this guy and he still didn't care that we were talking. So there's no connection or reassurances or any kind of romance in my marriage whatsoever. We live very separate lives and there have been a lot of issues with control and gaslighting and, you know, flat out fights if I gained any financial or physical independence from him. And that kind of unhealthiness is what left me very susceptible to Joe both times. I mean, my first husband and I were 19 when we got married and it was a gunshot wedding that left both of us pretty miserable together. And I don't have any frame of reference for a healthy romantic relationship. So while that maybe doesn't make messaging Joe right to some of the people that are listening to me right now, I was just so mentally starving for affection that I was easy to talk into having an emotional affair because... Joe is a person that feels like he's handing me everything that I ever wanted emotionally, and it came off as so effortless and all-consuming. Since recording this, I have come to learn that my second husband has been on dating sites behind my back for six-plus years. He did not care about Joe because he had a harem of women that he was also cycling through and sleeping with, and I had no idea. So I recant any guilt I expressed in this video. Anyways, I had asked Joe about meeting in person on Friday night when no one would be around to account for where I would be, and at first, Joe sort of jumped at the offer and said he'd come to my house, which is like two hours away from him, and he'd be there that evening when nobody was around. And when I said, no, no, we can't meet at my place, but since you are a single man with your own house, we can meet at your place. How does that work? And that's when his mask really started slipping. So after asking me over and over and over when we could actually see each other in person, because he just wanted to like hug me and give me a kiss and all this, like, yeah, right, like that's all he wants. I was just in shock when I asked him, you know, when and where are we going to meet? And he would not give me a firm answer. Suddenly he was like, well, I got to take my son to another county back to his mom's house. So I wouldn't be home until late that evening. And when I said, you know, just let me know what works. I'm, I'm free the whole time. Just let me know. His response was, okay which obviously okay does not have any kind of enthusiastic tone to it. So 
I got really nervous and unsent my messages asking to meet, which upset Joe. Joe claimed that I was hurting him because I wasn't ready to see him after all, and I had to explain it to him three times that I did want to see him, but he was scaring me with his lack of interest in solidifying the plans. But somehow he did not seem to understand what I was trying to say at all, which of course raised some red flags that I promptly ignored. But somehow he didn't seem to understand me at all and just kept acting like, I was the one making him feel rejected. And it broke down into this whole thing of me getting like very upset and weepy and sending him pictures of me ugly crying, which was what he asked me to do. And then him reassuring me over and over again that he wasn't going anywhere ever. Basically saying, you can't mess this up. Nothing you do or say is going to mess this up. I'm here for you. I love you. You know, this is permanent. So after having that very vulnerable bonding talk on Sunday night, Monday morning, I felt so good that I woke up with the intent to fully believe in Joe at this point. And so I was going all into this relationship without ever clapping back again that he wasn't going to stick around or that it was all just a game that he didn't really mean. I was just going to believe and hope for the best now because nothing else in my life had ever matched the intense feeling. I was having by this point. And so to try to prove my newfound devotion, I gave Joe my full trust and my phone number and asked him to call me between 6 and 8 p.m. when I would be home alone. I was not expecting or demanding that he call me for the entire two hours, but somewhere in there, you know, let's talk on the phone, let's be actual people. And Joe never actually said, yes, I'm going to call you, but he did play it up in a coy way that led me to believe he would be calling. I mean, these were set plans from my perspective. So around 5.40 p.m., I message him that everyone's out of the house now, no response. 10 minutes later, I nudge him again saying, you know, this is the part where you're supposed to call me. No response. At 6.30, I tried to remain very calm and stated that I was fighting against my impulses to delete the messages with my phone number in it and just kind of run away at this point. And I said, I don't know if something came up for you. I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt at this point. So I don't know if you had something come up, but the radio silence is really making me feel awful. Again, the message is delivered, but not looked at. Then at 7.58 p.m., just two minutes before the time frame for me being home alone was ending, Joe pops back into Messenger and says, oh, sorry, fell asleep. And the convenience of that timing was just too much to try to ignore. I told him that I was very hurt, especially since I am just starting to really trust and believe in him. And Joe got annoyed with me saying, well, he's been up since 3.30 a.m. So I responded and said, hey, I still have a few minutes before anybody's going to be home. So call me right now and we'll talk for that tiny bit of time. Oh, he couldn't do that because two of his kids were present. And I already knew before I asked him to call me, you know, right now, that he was going to find a reason to say no, but I wanted to try and give him every chance to say yes, just, just so badly. I wanted him to prove me wrong. However, it was now impossible to ignore the glaring issue that was in front of us. His kids being in the house should not prevent him from making a five-minute phone call if he's actually a single man. And I know he's not technically single until he's fully divorced, but if they are living in different locations like he says, then yeah, he's single 
people. He's pretty free to do whatever he wants with other people at that point. But you know, even if your kids are there, make the call, show the effort, say, oh, I'm so sorry, you know, let's set up another time to call, you know, what time works, something like that, anything. Prove you're not lying about falling asleep and give me the reassurance that I need to keep the faith in this relationship. But he said no. And at this point, I'm so hurt that I'm asking him, why didn't you just tell me that you couldn't call? I waited for you. Because Joe had been consistently messaging me right up until I sent him the message saying everybody's gone at 540. So again, very selective ghosting. And then he suddenly ghosts me during the entire time that I'm free to talk on the phone. And Joe responded to that pretty hostily, whereas every other time he was sort of like, oh, I'm sorry, I understand, you know, we're, we're gonna fix this or whatever. This time he's like, well, I thought I could get away, but I'm just too tired and I should understand this because my kids are the reason we haven't been able to talk on the phone before, which is not accurate at all, but uh, he can't do this with me right now, so just good night. And even feeling this hurt, like I am just coming to full grips that this is all a lie, everything's probably gonna crumble apart now, I've seen the mask slip right off his face, and all of these very suspicious excuses are popping up that's making me think maybe he is not as single as he seems. I was still not trying to end the relationship. So instead of picking a fight or making it worse, I said, oh wow, sorry then, dot dot dot, and just left it at that. Then he came back very quickly with an apology and an excuse that Joe was just so exhausted and he woke up to his kids going nuts and his son's mom is mad at him, so he didn't mean to snap at me. And it's it sounded, you know, cordial and polite enough that I would have easily just accepted it to move on from the situation. But I did not want to risk kind of antagonizing the situation any further. So my plan was to just keep my mouth shut. You know, in my head, he's apologized. So we'll talk tomorrow when we're both in better moods, whatever. Then a few minutes later, when I hadn't responded, I get another message that says, okay, followed pretty quickly by another that said, so that's it then. And I wasn't even looking at that as like a threat that he's saying, oh, so we're ending the relationship. I, I just, I, I kind of felt like he was annoyed. So I, again, still trying to soothe this situation and make it, you know, not escalate. I just said, I don't know what to say. And I was attempting to convey that, you know, let's put a pin in this and we'll talk about it later. But all of a sudden I get back this response that's fine, to which I responded back with K because, you know, I'm getting irritated too at this point that he's acting like this instead of just letting us both calm down. And the next thing I knew, I was blocked, just totally cut off in the exact way that I begged him not to do to me. You know, I had already explained to him days before that the buy forever card terrifies me and to just talk to me if he's upset and he still just like up and blocked me. Like I couldn't even reach out and say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry if I wanted to. So now I'm sitting there with my abandonment issues on full alert and I am so sick over this that I can't eat or sleep for days. And the worst thing is I went straight to my friends with the screenshots of those conversations and I was the first one to say, I know I didn't do anything wrong, but it still hurt so much. 
for all the different ways that I had tried to push Joe away and test him, he did not falter one time. And even though I know that him blocking me was not my fault, but it was a punishment because I was asking for accountability, it still left me feeling like I had made a wrong move and caused this whole problem to happen. Like, maybe if I had said, I don't know what to say, but let's talk tomorrow, then he wouldn't have cut me off. And Joe had worked on me to convince me that he wasn't leaving, that he had always loved me, that what happened before was due to all of these personal issues from his dad's death and that things were going to be different now and he was free to do everything that he promised before. And here I am alone feeling stupid for falling into the exact same con again. But that's not the end of it. Because I have anxious, preoccupied attachment style with codependency issues in this situation, and because I had just been love-bombed so hard for over a week until just all of my defenses were gone and I was emotionally raw and feeling in love to where being cut off so abruptly sent me into a literal state of withdrawal in my brain. Like, seriously, I felt like a drug addict needing a fix, and part of me wanted to go do or say anything to get Joe to come back and talk to me again. Let me fix this. Let me smooth this over. I'll even apologize if it makes you come back and give me a dose of affection. But because this had all happened before with him, I stopped myself from trying to make a move and decided to try and use these horrible feelings to learn about myself and why I felt this way. All the same, though, if you haven't been in a love addiction withdrawal before, there is no misery quite like it. I was up for several nights just obsessing over what I was going to say if Joe unblocked me and came back. I was in my son's IEP meeting for school having intrusive thoughts about how I would give Joe another chance because I missed him so much. Heck, even my friend encouraged me to open up a dating profile to distract myself with some male attention, you know, just to get over this horrible feeling faster. And every guy I looked at just disappointed me that it wasn't Joe. And every time I felt like I was mentally back in control of myself and these feelings were over, I would get this overwhelming rush and want him back so badly. And I recognized his lies. I saw the relationship as unhealthy and toxic. The cons definitely outweighed the pros for this guy by a lot. And I was completely aware of that. But that love bombing had impacted me in such a hardcore way that all I wanted was to be in that euphoric state of feeling cared about again. Even just from talking to Joe, just talking, I had so many symptoms of being lovesick, like clinically lovesick, that I physically felt destroyed because I couldn't be with him. And I lost 20 pounds in the time that we were talking. That's not normal. But his impact on me is so powerful and I wish I could explain why he specifically does that to me when nobody else seems to be able to, but I have no idea why that is. But 
I do know exactly what Joe was doing to me. It's part of the narcissistic love cycle. First, they have to find somebody that they can idealize and pour all of this affection into to make that person feel special. And then that way you reciprocate those feelings back and they can feed their ego off of it. And if they think that you're really special, they might try to get you to marry them quickly or get you pregnant quickly. So that way you're kind of stuck when you realize you got sold a smoke and mirror show. But when you get nice and trapped and addicted to the narcissist attention, they start to devalue you, which is where they start to punish you in very manipulative ways so that you automatically adjust yourself to suit what they want from you. So maybe they pick at your self-esteem or your friends until you just stop going out altogether. Or maybe they withhold affection if you don't say the things that they want you to say. And if you truly don't comply, then they either ghost you or they'll run hot and cold. And a lot of people don't even realize that they're being trained because it all happens so discreetly. You know, there's usually some thin veil of an excuse to make it all seem okay in the moment. So you'll hear, I can't stand to be away from you. Please don't go out to dinner with your friends. And so you end up staying home and you want to do it because you want to give your partner what they emotionally need. And that's especially true if you're somebody like me and you're very empathetic and very anxious, preoccupied attachment style because you know what that feels like to have a need and not have it met. So you want to fix that for them. Or maybe you're being trained by being ghosted for hours and then he'll come back and be like, oh, sorry, I had to go to the store. And then you start to automatically feel crazy because, oh, I was worrying for nothing. And you don't quite put together that you should be saying, hey, wait, he told me the last three times that he had to go somewhere. So why didn't he just say he had to leave this time? It's because he wants you to be insecure so that you'll be more compliant. And then when you aren't behaving or he gets bored or maybe the mask is slipped in a way that he can't recover from fast enough, you get discarded out of the blue like you never meant anything at all in the first place. And you're just left reeling with confusion and drowning in withdrawal symptoms. Like, what did I do? Why? Why? Wait, no, don't take that away. Don't take my dopamine away. And that's where the apology cycle can make these kind of situations very hard to cut off. Because here's what tends to happen in a narcissistic relationship. You have been made to feel like you were perfect to this person. So if they discarded you, that means that you must have done something so unforgivably wrong. So you get all shaken up that this person who claimed to love you for days, weeks, months, whatever, has cut you off so coldly, like you didn't matter at all, and you still have all of these feelings going on because you probably got blocked off by the narcissist before you could process or resolve anything, and and so you just got left to soak in that misery, which works great for a tactic called hoovering. So most people who idealize, devalue, and discard their partners are only sucking the life force out of a person. And so when that source of energy doesn't pay off anymore, or it's gotten too hard to drain anymore, the narcissist just moves on to the next person because all they care about is draining that energy source as much as possible. You know, that's the only way they know how to feel good. And that means 
Philippines, it is really common that these type of guys keep this sort of harem of women that they cycle through. So if you're girl number one, you challenged him, so he shuts you off and moves on to girl number two. But if girl number two is already over his crap in another relationship, whatever, he'll move on to girl number three and so on and so forth until somebody gives him the payoff that he's looking for. But usually the narcissist will end up hoovering and rotate back to girl number one at some point because he knows that you have a bunch of unresolved feelings that he can now exploit. So he'll show up, apologize, maybe take full accountability for whatever happened, and that does two things for you. One, it makes you feel like he's empathizing with your feelings and he's changed, and that's not the case. He will never actually be remorseful and nothing is going to be different. It's just part of the game to get you hooked back in so he can feed off of you some more. Because if you're not full of feelings, and wanting to play into his romantic relationship, you can't give him anything to feed his ego. So the more emotionally charged up you are, the more malleable you end up being. And two, you have now been trained that you have to approach this relationship with kid gloves on. What I mean is by discarding you and coming back, you are 100% an addict that's getting another taste of your drug before you fully recovered. It's an addiction relapse to get you back in with the narcissist. And if you're not even aware that you're having withdrawal because of how the love bombing impacted your brain, then you feel like you genuinely love this person who left you and you probably are going to hop back into a relationship with them hoping for it to be different this time. And it is different because now you know that your love supplier will cut you off without notice if you're not willing to walk the thin line that he sets for you. So any idea that this is going to be a better relationship now or that he's going to change or that you're going to stand your ground and be treated well, that is a complete delusion on your part. He doesn't care. Every time you don't play by his rules, he's going to cut you off again and cycle through his list of girls and then come back and apologize later because you've taught him that you'll put up with it. Once people show you who they are, believe them. Unfortunately, there is no easy solution to stop that withdrawal feeling because it gets under your skin until you feel like you might die because that love light is taken away and you just get spiraled into darkness. And don't forget, this happened while I was completely aware that this whole situation was a train wreck and I had done nothing to deserve being blocked. Now, just imagine how horrendous it was when I didn't have the understanding and self-awareness that I do today. I look at the spouse that I ended up with after the first time Joe discarded me and it's no wonder that we have these insurmountable problems. I fell into the arms of another narcissist who love-bombed me in a less intense way, granted, but he made me feel cared about after Joe tossed me aside and then leaned into my abandonment issues by walking me down the aisle and putting a baby in my belly, only to decide that he didn't really want that once reality set in. So yeah, I made bad choices and I'm not defending them, but I'm also still unraveling how messed up I am from childhood traumas that I didn't even know were affecting me. So there are a lot of layers of suffering that prompt me to make the unsound decisions that I keep making. I didn't understand that at all in my 20s. And sincerely, at the end of the day here, I trusted Joe for who he claimed to be. I was honest about everything. I was genuine. I fell in love. So 
It's on him, not me, if he was fake. All the same, though, I was educated. I saw every red flag, and I still ignored it because it just felt so good to be valued by Joe. I let myself get sucked into his fantasy deeper and deeper until we reached the discard phase of the relationship, and then he was gone without so much as a goodbye. It was, I love you, you're perfect, you make me so happy, I'm never leaving, and then, fine, and blocked. He knew I saw his lies and that he couldn't immediately slap the blinders back onto my face, so he left for an easier target because he was never emotionally invested in me. I was food for his ego, but I am going to try to bounce back stronger and smarter and use this experience to heal some of the broken pathways in my brain. And again, I don't share this very hard personal story to try and make people say, oh, poor you. Oh, you got treated so badly. I just really hope that other people in this situation can find this and maybe find a way to use this hurt for some good for themselves and know that they are not alone and they can try to channel this hurt into something different. It doesn't have to be the same. And if this just helped one person or saved one person from going back into an abusive relationship, then I don't care. Ostracize me. I can take it. <laughs>